the book of Philippians. So, if you have your Bibles, if you would go to Philippians chapter number one. The book of Philippians. Amen. Chapter number one and verse one. And I want just to highlight some key words in these first couple of messages. Philippians 1 and 1, the Bible says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. Note that word. To all the saints, the saints in Christ Jesus. If you've never been called a saint, well, we can't get to it this week, but you come out next week and that'll be your week. Amen? And we're gonna, if you're a believer, you're going to understand you are a saint of God, but didn't have the time to get it all in today. We can only get one word. The saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and the deacons. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. That'll be another message. Grace and peace to you. Amen. To you. That's God's word to you. Grace and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And joy will be that last little nugget that we glean and we'll get there in a few weeks. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. We want to talk about saints and servants, saints and servants, but we'll only be able to get to the servants today. And these are key words from the greeting. Now, we'll probably be in this at least three or, three or four months um, just going through these four small chapters, but listening to what God would say to us. And these are key words from the greeting. As we begin this sermon series from the book of Philippians, it's a short but rich letter written by the Apostle Paul when he was in Rome under house arrest. And it's a book of joy, joy in the midst of, in the midst of our circumstances, 16 times. Joy or rejoice in its various forms is used in these four little chapters. This is where we get the familiar rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. But more than joy, this is a book about Jesus. One of the greatest and most profound passages of our Lord is found in this little book. We find the words in the second chapter how God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave Him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Can you say amen? amen? This book is about Jesus. If it's not about Jesus, throw it away and find another book. This is about Jesus. It exalts Jesus. It honors Jesus. Points men to Jesus. Encourages us in Jesus. And this morning we want to focus... On Paul's greeting, on Paul's greeting. And there's some nuggets of spiritual gold within these few verses that we can excavate and we can be enriched by if we'll just pause and look into the Word of God. So number one, we're going to look at that word servant. Servants are literally bond slaves. Verse number one, Paul begins, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. You know, in the eyes of the church, in the eyes of the Philippians, Paul and Timothy were apostles. They were heroes. They were founders of the church. They were miracle workers, um, leaders, fathers in the faith. But in Paul's eyes, he and Timothy were something quite different. He introduces them. He describes himself as a bondservant, a slave of Jesus Christ. A slave not of Rome, not of men's religion, not of the Hebrews, but of Christ Jesus, his Savior and his King. For again, this word in the Greek, the doulos, this word denotes a willing slave who happily and loyally is linked to the Master. And now Paul is not peculiar in this, for if we go through the various epistles, we'll see Peter not just describing himself as an apostle, but a servant or a bond slave of Jesus Christ. We'll see Jude, again, not an apostle, but a servant of Jesus Christ. We can go to the book of James. And the same thing, not just an apostle, but a servant or a slave of Christ. And this is how they saw themselves. And this is how all believers, to one way or the other, need to see ourselves in Christ. In Paul's case, he was a servant, but it wasn't something against his will. It's something he did in response to the love and compassion and greatness of God. 
It's something he did with a willing heart, a loving heart. It's something that he did with a joy and a desire in his service. Paul was saying that he was Christ's slave and that he wished to serve him as any obedient servant would serve his master. Now, now to some people, the thought of being a servant or a slave of Christ is unpleasant. I mean, it certainly um, rubs the carnal and the proud and the unconverted in the wrong way. But to those who really know Jesus, to those who really have been born from above and have experienced this abundant life, have tasted the goodness of God and have partaked in this um, great salvation, then like, like Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2 and 7, it rings true to us who believe He's precious. To us that know Him, Jesus is wonderful. To us that have really tasted of the goodness of God, it's not a meager thing. It's an exciting thing to serve the Lord. It's a noble thing to serve the Lord. It's a thing of honor to say I'm not my own. I belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I'm not ashamed of Him and I'm not ashamed of His Gospel. Can you say Amen? Far from being... a unpleasant thing, being a sincere servant of Jesus Christ is liberating and fulfilling. It's empowering. It's liberating. Free from and free to become. Think about it for a moment. It's liberating. Being a new creature in Christ. The old is past. All things are new. Man, that's liberating. I mean, to be able to say it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. Man, that's liberating. That old guy, I don't want to be that old guy. That was a shameful life. That was a negative life. I like who Jesus makes us to be. Can you say amen? Amen. Salvation brings true freedom and true liberty. Freedom from sin. Freedom from sorrow. Freedom from shame. There is no more condemnation. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Redeemed by the precious blood of heaven's Lamb. No longer held by sin's power. No longer cursed by sin's eternal penalty. Free from past failures. Free from present fears. Free from future judges. Free because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Free for in laying down my life, I found His life. And that's an eternal life. And an abundant life. In overcoming life. There's new life in Christ for those that know Jesus. For where sin was a hard taskmaster and sin brought shame and sorrow, Jesus, His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Can you say amen? In my surrender, I found my freedom. And I would suggest if you're a Christian this morning, it's not on my notes, but I just can't... If you're a Christian and you're struggling, a lot of times Christians struggle if there's a rebellious part that hasn't been laid down. Because we find our peace in our surrender. We find, as we come under the yoke, that's where you find it. As we say yes to the Lord and do it His way, that's where we find that grace. That's where we touch that comfort. That's where we enter in to that, that freedom of serving God and living this life. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I know it wasn't for you. It must have been for the person next to you. Of course. Amen. (laughs) Coming to Jesus Christ and becoming a servant of the Lord. Friend, it's liberating. It's liberating. What a wonderful change. In my wife, I mean in my life, had been wrought. (laughs) Since Jesus came into my heart. Isn't that right? I'm glad I'm not the guy I used to be. I don't know about anybody else. Liberating. And it's fulfilling. It's fulfilling. I want you to think about it. It's fulfilling. The Bible says we are completing Christ. The Bible says we were made by God and we were made for God. And it's in walking with God that we find our true purpose, our reason for being, our security, our significance. When we came to Jesus, we found God's acceptance there. We received God's receptance there. He received us as His very own. He took us as His precious sons and daughters. He put His Spirit within us. He restored us to our proper position in life. He awakened us 
to our eternal purpose and destiny. He exalted us to a privileged place of being sons and daughters of a living God. Every now and again, you run into someone. They're trying to find themselves. I said, man, you're right there. Just look. There you are. No, they're trying to find themselves. I want you to know, you'll never find yourselves outside of Jesus Christ because He is the one that reconciles you to God the Father. He is the one that gets you back into peace and relationship with the Almighty God who created you and then He redeemed you. Oh, folks, in Jesus Christ. It's not just liberating. Man, it is fulfilling because we become who we were created to become. And it's not only liberating and fulfilling, it's empowering. For with responsibility comes authority. The Bible says one day we're going to judge angels. Can you imagine that? I don't mean you, brother. I mean, we're going to, we're going to judge angels. We're going to judge, stop judging angels. No, we're going to judge angels. Isn't that awesome? I mean, these people are selling their souls for another nickel an hour. For some other relationship that will just fall apart like the last one. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine that? One day, the church of Jesus Christ, we're going to rule and reign with Him. Man, we're going to, I'm telling you right now, it's empowering to become a son of God. Oh, yes. Authority and privilege have been given to the people of God with the commission of Christ. We have been entrusted with the divine resources to live it out. You see, orders come with authority to carry them out. And those of us that know and love the Lord, divine resources have been entrusted to our lives. The name, the Word, the blood, the Spirit of the Lord. Oh, they make us strong and give us power. They enable us to live this life when we come to Christ. He frees us from the past. He frees us from the shame. He frees us from the things that embarrassed us. He made us sons with privilege and power and position. He makes us a fulfilled life because we become what we were created to be from the beginning and we finally have that proper relationship with our Creator and our Redeemer. But then He empowers us to live this life not as failures, but as more than conquerors, not as losers, but as those that are triumphant in Christ. He gives us power. The Bible says the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells within us. Isn't that a wonderful thing? The Bible says that it's no longer I that liveth, but Jesus Christ. He lives in us. That's why you can live this life. You can overcome that situation. You can stay consistent in your walk, not by your own willpower, not by grace it out, but by the Spirit of God that dwells within you, that will help you, that will empower you to live. The Bible says we have received power after the Holy Spirit has come upon us. So whoever you are, if you're a Christian, I've got good news for you. You can live the overcoming life. You can overcome the challenges that life will throw against you. You can go forward in Jesus Christ. This is not by your own wits, and it's not by your own wisdom. It's It's not by your own strength, but it's by the power of the Spirit of the living God that will help you, enable you, and bring you through. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. So here, Paul is identifying himself. He's introducing himself as a slave of Christ. As a servant of Christ. But that's a good thing. Tell your neighbor that's a good thing. That's a good thing. We've got to retrain our thinking and get it inside with His Word. You see, that carnal man, I don't want to be a slave to no one. Well, you act like a fool most of your life till you got saved. Amen? So, so why, why, why would you want to keep running things? I want Jesus to run things. Amen? I don't mind being His servant. Hey, hey that's, that's a whole other story there, right? Now, when Paul calls himself a bondservant of Christ, he's communicating at least three things that the people in that culture would easily understand. The Roman Empire, there's so much slavery and they understood it. So he's using this analogy so it's not hard for them to get the, the picture here. When he speaks of being a servant of Christ, the people recognize that Paul is saying, number one, uh, the slave, the servant, was owned by the master. Listen, let nothing master you but the master. Let no um, uh, nicotine or let, let nothing master you but the master. 
Don't let these things that you're supposed to have victory over control you and mess up your marriage and, and keep you down and keep you discouraged and depressed. Be a more than conqueror. You can through Jesus Christ. But let nothing master you but the Master. But Jesus, He's a good Master. Jesus is a wonderful Lord and a wonderful Savior. The slave is owned by the Master. Paul lays down that He is the absolute possession of Christ. You see, we get in trouble when we try to use God. Help me straighten this out, but don't run my life. I don't mind you taking me to heaven, Lord, but don't tell me how to live. Anyone ever been there? Yeah, 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 yeah. Heal our marriage woes, but we, we don't want to honor your name. We don't, don't tell us how to live. But it don't work that way. We ever find out it's very hard to live like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Paul lays down that he is the absolute possession of Christ. That Christ loved him and bought him with a price. And he could never belong to another. That's why when people look and they say, why do you do this and why don't you do that? Our answer as believers is simply, hey, I live the way I live because I don't belong to myself. I belong to Jesus. He's my Savior. He's my King. He's my Lord. It's not up to me. I belong to Jesus. I belong to another. I'm God's property. I'm the sheep of His pasture. When they say, why do you do that? Or why don't you do like the rest of us? Because I'm not like the rest of us. I'm a Christian. I belong to Jesus. He's my Lord and I live the way He wants me to live. And I live in a way that pleases and honors Him. And I find that glorifying and gratifying and pleasurable. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Let's get to the Bible. Because sometimes, again, we're such a rebellious people in our carnal nature, our fallen nature. We all have a fallen nature. And in America, we're, we're, we're getting all that, you know, the John Wayne mentality. But sometimes it seeps in the church. And when we like to be in control, when Jesus says, I'm Lord, you can't be in control. And so sometimes if we hear lingo like this, even though we read it from the Bible, I can see rebellion on people's faces. Amen? Can I prove it to you? Can I prove to you that you've got a carnal nature that doesn't even like, you don't even like God telling you what to do. Can I prove it? Come on. So okay. Go ahead. Pre- prove it. I'll never forget when I was about 16 or 17, New York State finally passed the, the um, seatbelt law. Seatbelt law. Never forget it. Seatbelt law, right? Most of you get in your car, you put your seatbelt on, don't even think about it, do you? I'll never forget. My church, we, had a, we here didn't have much of a parking lot, about five parking spots. So we borrowed, you know, there was a Catholic school down the street, and we parked there so you'd walk. And I'll never forget when it first came in. I'm walking with mom or dad, walking with someone um, um, from church to the parking lot with some of the most godly saints in our church. I mean, I'm telling you, the prayer warriors, the intercessors. And you should have heard them talk. I'm laughing. No one's going to tell me to put a seatbelt. I don't know who they think they are in Albany. I'm not wearing a seatbelt. They can't make me. Well, all my life I've been driving. They people prayed me to salvation, man. This is a group they, they prayed through, man. They fast, they, and here they are. Now, everyone today does it. You don't even think about it. But just the fact that someone tells you you can't do that, something in me. I want to do that. Even if God, I don't like God, if I had to write the Bible, I'd take that word out because I find servant insulting. Because I'm no man's servant. Oh, yes. If you're not Christ's servant, you might not find heaven your home. <coughs> We all got that old nature, don't we? We're all made out of the same stuff, aren't we? Yeah, we are. And I don't like it any better than you. Amen? Ten items. I got eleven. Ten items? No, okay. The slave was on. Here it is. Do you not know? Paul writes that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God. And here it is. You are not your own. Isn't that what it says? You're not, I'm not my own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Live pure and holy. Live the way God wants you to live. You're not your own. But listen, listen, listen. You know, we, 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 we esteem things by the value we put on things. Isn't that right? I, I wouldn't give you a lot of money for a you know, disposable paper towel thing, right? But oh, I'd give my fortune. For the health of my child or the value of things. When the Bible says, you, put your name in there, Andrea. Sandy. Well, you were bought at a price. Oh, my. What a price God paid for you. What a price God paid for you. 
We, we, we measure value by what are you willing to pay for it. How God values you and I. He knew all about us. Every hidden thing. Every terrible. He knew it. Yet He purchased us with the blood of His own Son. That's how valuable you and I are to God. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful to know the living God considers me that valuable and that worth? Oh my goodness. So understand that you and I, we are bought at a price. But we're not our own. But that's a good thing. Because we belong to Jesus. And He's a wonderful Savior. He's a great Shepherd. He's a compassionate God. Can you say amen? So number one, when Paul says this, he's saying very clearly, a slave was owned by the Master. You see, legally, you and I belong to Jesus. The precious blood purchased and redeemed us from, um, as one songwriter put it, the auction block of sin. And Calvary's cross, where Jesus died for you and for me. That wasn't a tragedy, my Lord. It was our victory. It was our deliverance. For there the price was paid. There the sacrifice for our sin paid. There the... It is finished, which means paid in full, was declared by God's own Son. And Paul is saying, we who know the Lord, we who have received Jesus personally, living for Him publicly, we have been purchased, and now we are the possessions of Christ. One writer described it like this. Here's the picture. He said, we were slaves to sin. Ruined by the fall, dead in transgression, separated, marred, messed up. We like to say broke, busted, and disgusted. But, but he said, but Jesus looked upon us. And He saw our need. He saw our helplessness. He saw our condition. He saw our guilty estate. And when He looked, the most wonderful thing happened. He didn't shrink back. He didn't turn His head and wave us off. He didn't walk on by. Instead, He loved us. And He drew near to us. He came close to us. And He purchased us. And He made us His very own. And now we are forever His. We belong to Him. That's a glorious thing. That's a blessed thing. That's that's an exciting thing. That means we serve Him. And we honor Him with our lives. And we give our best to please Him. But it also means that we can be completely confident that He cares for us. That He watches over us. That He provides for us. That He protects us. That He'll never leave us. And He'll never forsake us. In the ancient world, there are various ways that one could become a slave and one could be freed from slavery. But in spiritual terms, there's only one way for deliverance. You have to be bought. You must be bought. By the one and only one who can pay sin's price. For no one can ever buy their own salvation. No one can merit it. No one can earn it. There's nothing I can do to get my own forgiveness. There's nothing It's impossible for me to merit God's compassion and mercy. In fact, the Bible is so clear. There is no other currency that heaven will accept except the blood of Jesus. There's no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. But by Me, you can only come to God through Jesus Christ. But the good news is, you can come. And you can come today. And you can come regardless of what you've done. Regardless of how messed up you've been in the past. The arms of God's grace are open wide. And that one way is open to you. And you're invited to come and receive Jesus. And receive His forgiveness. And be washed in His precious blood. That's why, again, Paul... Paul writes that there's only one mediator between a holy God and a fallen mankind, and that's the man, Jesus Christ. He's the only way, and He's the only one. Peter was able to write, it's not with silver and gold, it's not with earthly things that we were redeemed or purchased for our empty way of life, but by the precious blood of Jesus. That lamb without spot or wrinkle, that price has been paid. That you and I can come. And you and I can receive. And I'm here today to say no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, the blood of Jesus will wash you and cleanse you and make you whole. And you're invited to come, but you've got to come. You're invited to receive that and the arms of God are open wide to you, but you've got to respond and you've got to make that move. What a God we serve.
We thank God this morning that what we could never earn or buy or merit, God freely gives us through the sacrifice of His Son. God did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He paid the price. He bore the shame. And today, whoever will can come and receive this great salvation. Number one, Paul is communicating to the church that the slave is owned by the master. We're possessions of Christ. Paul experienced this. Paul understood this. And Paul rejoiced over this. And those of you that know the Lord, it's a good thing to recognize I am a servant of the living God. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. But secondly, he said the slave not only um, is owned by the master, he existed for the master. You know, if you grew up in different denominational churches, it was like you went on Sunday and did your religious thing and then lived any way you wanted. There was a separation between the temple and lifestyle. The temple is where you did your ritual, but then you lived pretty much the way you wanted to live. But true Christianity understands Jesus is Lord. That means he's my master and my owner. So here I worship him in a special way and I get fed a special way and I enjoy fellowship in a special degree, but I don't stop serving him when I walk out the door. I don't stop living or belonging to him once I leave the sanctuary. The slave existed for, because I'm a servant. I'm his servant. He loved me and now I love him. He laid down, Paul says, I lay down my personal rights and I give my absolute obedience to Jesus who died for me. Paul's will was given over to Jesus Christ. It was Paul who said, Philippians 1 and 21, let's look at that. Paul said these wonderful words, most of you have heard of them. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But let me highlight that first part. To live is Christ. When we say to live, what it makes me come alive is Christ. I get excited about Christ. He's saying, um, I live for, I come alive to. It's my source of joy and excitement and fulfillment. And we should all feel that way that know the Lord. Amen? Amen. Knowing Jesus, it ought to give us a motivation in life. It ought to give us a desire in life. It ought to give us an excitement and a strength in life. Now, if we were to say, what are you alive to? I live for, what do you, I live for. Now, in the natural, in the natural, someone says, I live for sports. I live for shopping. <laughs> I live for my job. Family, fishing, friends, who knows? I mean, that's just... And in the natural, in the natural, we understand that. In the natural sphere, we understand that language. But as Christians, Jesus and serving Jesus should also excite us. It should stir us. It should energize us. It should motivate the, how we live and the choices we make. It ought to stir us for our priorities. It ought to direct our ambitions. Can you say amen? We should find joy and pleasure, purpose in living and knowing Jesus Christ. Look here how Paul gives his reasoning. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. Here Paul explains his rationale for the way he lived and how on fire, we used to use that phrase, on fire he was for Christ. He says, for Christ's love constrains, compels, ignites us. Because previously they said, Paul, you're just beside yourself. You're too much. You're just a fanatic. And I mean, come on, everyone's doing it. Everyone living it. Don't you know it's 2000 is not 1954. Come on, Paul. But Paul said, no, 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 you're wrong. I'm not a fanatic. I'm not just, you know, crazy. He says, the love of Christ compels me. Understanding his great love for me. Now, that moves me, man. I'm energized by the fact that God sent his son to die for me. And I wasn't worthy of that, man. Because we are convinced. Paul says, I'm convinced. I'm going to give you my rationale for the way I live. I'm convinced about this. You've got to be convinced about something. You want to be convinced about something. Oh, you'll be open to anything. Because we are convinced that one died for all. Jesus died for you. Didn't have to. He didn't need any of us. But he chose to purchase us. I'm convinced that one died for all. Therefore, we all died. We all died. We all died in Him. And He died for you and I. That those of us who live now, we should no longer live for ourselves. Jesus purchased us, not so we can just say I'm forgiven and then keep doing our own thing, but that we could live for God. 
but that we would live for Him who died and then rose again. Paul says as Christians, because if we understand what God did for us through Jesus, it ought to put a motivating force, a purpose, and excitement in our hearts to live different, to serve God wholeheartedly, to love God unashamedly, to come into His house consistently and praise Him and love Him and share Him with our world. What energizes and motivates my life? What moves me? Then Jesus should be part of that. I read a, in my reading this week, I read a couple of little things. One title was Age Doesn't Matter. And the author said this, Motivation knows no age. Motivation knows no age. We are motivated when we have a mission. You know, when you have a purpose for your life. When you have a passion. When you have a desire. When you have a reason. He was motivated by mission. Not, and age doesn't matter. And he goes on to say how Bill Gates, he started his company, Microsoft, when he was just in his 20s. But then, Thomas Watson, he founded IBM in his 50s. So it doesn't, age doesn't matter. It's having something to live for. It's having something that drives you. It's having something that wakes you up in the morning and gives you a purpose for life. It gives you a plan for life. and gives you a destiny for life. and gives you a reason for living a certain way and, 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 and being, and being um, wholehearted in what you do. Then it goes on. I read another story, and this was interesting. J.P. Morgan, you might have heard of him, that famous bank guy. J.P. Morgan, late 1800s, early 1900s. He said that he could motivate. He said that you can motivate anyone if you find their, what he called a hot button, hot button. Now, he had a sister that had a um, boy in school, in college, and she complained to him that she could not get her son to write back when she would correspond with him at college. So he says, I bet I can do that. And so J.P. Morgan wrote his nephew a letter. He said, dear, dear nephew, hope school is fine. Hope you're getting along with your friends, doing well in your classes, et cetera, et cetera. Look to see, see you in the holidays. P.S. and close, $50. And this is back in the 1800s, so $50, pretty good. $50. Um, spend it any way you want. Then he purposely didn't put the $50 in. <laughs> so you know within four or five days, the fastest the 1880s got mail. He got the letter back. Dear Uncle JP, thank you for um, thinking about me. Thank you for being concerned about me. Um, school is fine. Um, um, but but um, the money you said was in there must have fallen out. It wasn't. What's your hot button? What are you alive to? What motivates you? Paul says, I live for. And I'm alive to Jesus Christ. He's saying, I find a purpose. And a passion. I find something that drives me and excites me. Something that I appraise and is valuable and worthy, as desirable, as attractive. I have a cause, I have a reason. When you come to know Jesus, it gives you the greatest reason to live, it gives you the greatest purpose on how to live. And every one of us, though we live in a real world and everyone has jobs and bills to pay and we have natural situations we have to deal with and give our attention to. Yet if we're truly born from above, there should be something in our hearts that is motivated by the way we live and how we live and our priorities in life. And that motivation is stirred that I love Jesus and I belong to Jesus. And I'm excited about this God. And I love this God who first loved me. And I want to serve and I want to please Him. And I want to be part of what He's doing in the earth. Paul writes here, he says, as a servant, I not only am owned by the Master, but I exist for Him. And knowing what He's done for me is actually a driving force in my life. That's why we praise Him. That's why we sing with all of our hearts. That's why when we're on the jobs, we're doing our best to live right because we want to be a good witness. We're believing that God's going to use us to speak to someone and shine the light on someone. That's why we, we live in such a way where Missions Month comes and we're asking God, how can I give and what can I do, Lord, so this Gospel can go to places that haven't heard it. There's something within me that drives us and motivates us. If someone is a true Christian and you've really been born again, and you're in love with Jesus, there will be a motivation, there will be a driving force, there will be an inspiration in your life that will determine your morality, your priority, your time management, you name it from A to Z. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ 
that liveth within me. Can someone say amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. And this last thought about the, the, the slave, Paul writes, now not only am I owned, I exist, but you know what? To be a servant, slave of Jesus Christ is a precious position of honor. You remember back in the 70s and 80s, some of y'all can't remember, and some of y'all, well, you can remember, but some, um, now in the 70s, T-shirts, T-shirts, right? T-shirts. Remember T-shirts? These people go with T-shirts. I, I can't remember last time I wore a T-shirt, but T-shirts, you know. And, and there was always that one T-shirt, and it said, I, I'm a fool for Christ, or I'm a slave for Christ. And then on the back it says, whose fool are you? Whose slave are you? You're going to serve somebody. You're going to serve somebody. You're going to serve somebody, and you're going to stand before the living God someday. You're going to, you might be you. You want to be your own God. I, I hate it for you when you meet the true and living God, but you don't deal well with imposters. Right? But those that know the Lord. <laughs> oh, no, being a servant of Jesus, that's a noble thing. That's a, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing. That's an exciting thing. To be His servant is a precious position of honor. To be Jesus' servant was a position of honor. It was an exalted place, not a lowly place. The believer's slavery to Christ is no cringing, cowardly, or shameful thing. No. That's what dope does to you. <laughs> that's what that booze bottle do to you. That's what living frivolously and ruining family. That's what that, no, no, that, that'll, make you, that'll make you look cowardly and foolish. Come on, say amen. The way a transgressor is hard. The Bible says that, does it not? There is a high cost for low living. But oh, I'll tell you what, serving Jesus, there's nothing shameful about that. There's nothing embarrassing about being bold and courageous and declaring how good God is and how we love Him and we serve Him. Oh, no. This world not ashamed of their nonsense. We cannot be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Here's a position of honor. It's an honor that bestows upon a man the privileges and the responsibilities of serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Dr. David Jeremiah writes to Paul, the term servant or bond slave was a title of dignity and humility. There was no greater position than to be a servant of the living God. And we would do well, he writes, to remember that God did not save us to be sensations, but rather, like our Lord, to be servants. I want you to look at John 12 and verse 26 as we wind this up and come to the Lord's table. Look, look, look at this precious Scripture. I want you to see how God the Father looks upon those that call themselves servants of Jesus Christ. But it's what the world thinks really doesn't matter, does it? It's what God thinks. Hey, well, whoever serves me, Jesus said, whoever serves me must follow me. So I'm not just a servant because I say I'm a servant. I'm a servant because I'm following Christ. Amen? I'm living for Christ. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will also be. You know, when you're a servant of Jesus, it gives you a place of intimacy and access and confidence with God. Wow. It brings you into a place of communing and walking in relationship with God. But now look at this. And my Father will honor the one who serves me. Isn't that wonderful? Intimacy and honor belong to the servants of Jesus Christ. The honor of man pales in comparison and importance to the honor of God. We have this privilege bestowed upon us because of the blood of Jesus and the cross of Calvary making unworthy people like us worthy and acceptable sons no longer cringing sinful beings. And that's why we remember. And that's why we give thanks. That's why we are unashamed. And we are 
wholehearted in our love and our devotion to Jesus Christ. That's why we praise Him. And that's why we proclaim Him. What a glorious verse. Can I look at that one more time? Oh, what a precious verse. Whoever serves me must follow me. So if we're servants, that means we're living for Jesus. Amen? That means we're living the way He wants us to live. And He says, what a blessing here. And where I am, my servant will also be. If you'll serve Him, He says, you're going to have a special relationship with me. You can talk with me. You can have intimacy with me. You can have access to me. You can be brought into my confidence and have that relationship with me. And I'll tell you what, above all that, the Father has a word for you. And the Bible says, my Father will honor the one who serves me. What a thought that God Almighty honors those that serve the Lord Jesus. Regardless of what this world thinks, they could think we're not with it. They could think we're a cult. Man, they can think, you know, we're out with the times. But the Almighty God says, I honor those. I bless those. I esteem those that serve my Son. Hallelujah. And that's why you and I serve Him. That's why you and I love Him. We're not ashamed of it. And we thank the Lord that He made it possible. Now, you and I, some of us were crazy before we got to know Christ. Some of us certainly, wow. But all the mercy and the love of God. All the compassion of God. And to know that He didn't just take my craziness and sweep it under the rug. He went to a cross. The sin has to be paid properly. Even God doesn't wink at sin. He took it out on His Son instead of taking it out on I don't know about you, but I'm forever grateful and thankful for that. Amen? So we're servants of the Lord. Paul wasn't ashamed to say it. Peter wasn't ashamed to say it. Jude, they weren't ashamed to say it. And I'm not ashamed to say it. And I know you're not ashamed. We're servants of the Lord Jesus. And that's a noble thing, an honorable thing, an exciting thing. But the only reason we're servants is not because our family was in the church, not because we are you know, respectable citizens, The only reason you and I can be servants and sons of God is because of the cross of Calvary. If Jesus went to the cross in our place and shed His blood for our forgiveness. And as we receive Him, we receive this salvation. And that's what communion is all about. It's remembering what He did on the cross and is giving thanks for all that He did on the cross. Amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. As the men come and serve us, let's just begin to bless the Lord. Somebody, oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. It washes white as snow. One more time. Help me, songbirds. Oh.
night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And they said, this bread symbolizes my body broken for you. God made a choice. And he chose you. Before he created the heavens and the earth, he knew you. He saw you. He knew how you would live. He knew how you'd be born. And from before time was, God chose you. And in choosing you, he chose to send his son to purchase you and to redeem you. And now the choice is yours. And now the choice is in your lap. No matter what you've done, if you want to know forgiveness, true forgiveness, eternal forgiveness, you've just got to come and say yes to Christ. He chose you, but now you've got to choose him. And now once you've chosen him, It's important that Jesus said we do this, every time we do this, to remember Him. And hopefully to meditate and think and grow to really appreciate the significance of the cross and of His sacrifice and all that He did. So we would never take it lightly or just religiously. It would never just become a ritual. But what we are doing this morning will have a great meaning and significance with how we live our life and to whom we serve, in the measure and endeavor and desire in which we serve Him. He chose us. And if you haven't chosen Him, right where you're seated, all you need to do, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I surrender. I'm going to serve you from now on. Come on in and make me new. And I'll give you my best as you help me to. That's simple. If you're here today, as most of us are, and we have chosen, let's meditate and think about what a great God we serve. What a wonderful salvation He has given us. Who in ourselves were unworthy of it. And I pray that as we meditate on the greatness of our God and His salvation, it would motivate us and move us. Now, like Paul, we could say, I live for Christ. Yes, I love my family, and I love this, and I love that, and I love Fred's like the rest of you. But I live for Christ. I get excited about Jesus Christ. I live the way I live because Jesus is real to me. Amen? On that night, he was betrayed. He took the bread, and he said, this is my body, symbolizing my body that's soon to be broken for you. And when we do it, we remember him we give thanks. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you took our place and you offered yourself as our substitute to endure the punishment that our sins deserved. We remember you and we give thanks and praise to you 
and we look afresh with a fresh appreciation for who you are and all that you've done. We partake with grateful hearts. Let's partake together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You did it for me. You did it for me. Thank you, Lord. And after that meal, he took the cup. He said, this cup is going to represent my blood, which I will soon shed for you and for the world. What lambs and bulls could never do, where they were just symbolic, the Lamb of God was the reality. And he said, my blood is God's blood shed. That whoever you are and whatever you've gone through, you can find peace and you can find purity and you can find forgiveness through the blood of God's only begotten Son. And we remember that. We are moved as we meditate on that. And we give Him thanks for that. Lord Jesus, we thank You. Your death was not merely a martyr's death, but it was a substitutionary death. And that you died for us. That if by faith we will believe, if by faith we will look to you and call on you, the blood that you shed thousands of years ago will right now cleanse us, wash us, make us brand new. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your shed blood and we will forever serve you with all that we can because of it. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, let's partake together. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you would, let's stand and sing. If you need prayer, come to the altar. If you just want to praise the Lord a little bit, we've got some time. Come and let God touch you.